Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp. I will play for you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. As far as the reading of God's Word, I invite you to keep this passage open as we uh, make our way through it this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, once again, we just thank you for this beautiful sunshine, this beautiful day. And as we sit here, our minds may wander what activities we can be doing or what work we can be doing. We, we know we should be here, and we're grateful that you brought us here. We just ask that you be with Pastor Bob this morning and guide him, the message that he has prepared, and open our hearts and our minds to that message, that we apply it to our lives. Dear Lord, we just thank you for everything that you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at uh, four things from this passage as we make our way through it. So four main points. First of all, that we see in the beginning of this passage a declaration of trust declaration of trust. Secondly, that there is a call for action. Thirdly, there is a petition for blessing. And lastly, there is a statement of fact. So a declaration of trust, a call for action, a petition for blessing, and a statement of fact. It's in these first two verses, these opening lines of the psalm that we find David's declaration of trust. There is a striking familiarity between what we read in this psalm, at least in these verses, and what you read in Psalm 18. Some believe that Psalm 18 might indeed be the commentary upon Psalm 144 verses 1 and 2. So here he condensed it into two verses. Psalm 18, he expands it into more I guess we would say more detail, more ways of understanding the truths that are presented here. So I'd recommend to you this afternoon, read Psalm 18 and reflect upon it in in regards to to these verses. But we see four things uh, that are being done here um, that, that kind of 
bring these verses together. First of all, that the Lord is to be blessed. And note that that in each one of these statements that we're going to make here, I capitalize the word Lord, each of the letters. That's because that's the way David writes the psalm. Blessed be the Lord. We've indicated before that when scriptures do that, they're distinguishing this word use of the word Lord from capital L-O-R-D, which would signify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That usually is the way he is signified. Or to distinguish it from a small L-O-R-D, which would be uh, the person perhaps for whom you work or labor, the Lord, the one who is in charge. When you put it all in caps, the ESV is saying that is the indication of the use of the name Jehovah or the use of I am. It is God's covenant name and therefore so fitting for a baptism that David is throughout this psalm referring to God in a covenant relationship. He's referring to the Lord in this relationship that the Lord has made with him and David has with the Lord in terms of covenant, of terms of promise that have been made. The first thing I want you to note is that David begins the psalm by saying, blessed be the Lord. That's a statement of trust. Why? Well, we have to understand this is David writing. And as he alludes to later in the psalm, he is already king at this point in time. He is in charge. He is in control. David was the mighty warrior. Hey, he's, he's, he's good at this. He has, he has established himself as king. And yet David is saying, I trust you, Lord. You're the one I trust. Because, Lord, you're the one who is to be blessed. The particular form of that word, which we translate blessed here, in the Hebrew has to do with the idea of to adore unbended knee. So here is the king. In all his power and might and authority, here is David, the ruler of the nation of Israel, the mighty conqueror, saying, Lord, You're the one who deserves to be blessed. You're the one to whom I bow on bended knee. Now there's a part of that bended knee part that that we don't get because we live in a land of democracy. We have, you know, presidents and senators and so on, and we don't do much bending of our knees. We, We don't do much bowing. But the idea, if you think back perhaps to to maybe some old movies you have watched about a king. And here comes the knight, and the knight kneels before the king like this on bended knee. The idea is, you're submitting to that authority. You're submitting to that king. And he may very well take his sword and lop off your head. You're bowing. You're exposing your neck to that king who can at any moment make the decision, I will destroy you. I know who you are. I know what you're coming. You're you're a horrible guy. 
You're the guy who slept with Bathsheba. You're the guy who murdered Uriah. David says, I come before you unbended knee. I expose my neck. That's a statement of trust. You see, David is coming before the Lord knowing that the Lord and him are in a covenant relationship. Knowing that blood has indeed been spilled for David's sin. Knowing that the Lord has had Nathan the prophet come to him and say, you're the one. But also hearing your sin is forgiven. You see, David the king can come before the Lord on bended knee with exposed neck, placing himself fully submission, in full submission to the Lord. You don't do that to someone you don't trust. It's a statement of trust. Secondly, it's a declaration of trust because David is referring to the Lord, secondly, as his rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Often if you go through the life of David, rocks are an important aspect of his life, particularly during the time in which he is being chased by Saul. It is often the rock that protects him. It is the rock that keeps him from Saul and from Saul's men. It is the cave in the rocks where David hides. So to David, that that picture of a rock is a place of safety. It is a declaration of David saying, I find my safety in you. David goes on to speak about the fact that the Lord is the one who is his stronghold, his shield. It's the idea that the Lord is his protection. And if we take into consideration the words of Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. You get that kind of tone here when David says in verse 2, He is my shield and he in whom I take refuge. The idea of that picture of of running to that strong tower, of running to that protection, because that is where David knows and has learned through the course of his life, God indeed, the Lord, his covenant God, can indeed be trusted. So when we come into a baptism, we make these promises. We see the Lord taking action. We see the Lord placing his name upon faith. And we come, blessed, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be this covenant God. I give my trust. See, what what Clay and Abby were actually doing here when they brought faith forward... In a sense, you could picture it as this. They're bowing before the Lord on bended knee with their child up, saying, Lord, I trust you with my child that you have given to me. Put your name upon her. It's a declaration of trust is what a baptism is all about. That's what the psalm begins with. Secondly, the psalm is a call for action. Now, this takes up the longest section uh, of the chapter of the psalm. It's actually all the way from verses 3 through verse 11. And, and 
I summarized it in this simple, put together three phrases. One, it's for the Lord's hand to rescue from enemies. That's what's going on in this section. See, God in a covenant promises to watch over and to keep and to guard. What David is simply doing in verses 3 through 11 is saying, Lord, I've encountered a situation. I am going through this time, this episode. We don't know exactly what is taking place, but you get the gist that there's foreigners involved and these foreigners are offering their right hand to fellowship saying, yep, everything will be peace. But David's like, no, they're lying to me. I, I can tell this isn't a good deal. Uh, this, something, something stinks about what's happening here. I don't understand why these people would be agreeing to this. Lord, I've got a feeling we're being cheated here. I've got a feeling we're being lied to. Lord, rise up. Lord, rise up. Deal with these people. Because, Lord, you've made a covenant promise. I've entered into that covenant. Lord, I'm calling upon you to fulfill your covenant promise to me, to our nation. You know, I I think sometimes when we we come to a baptism and we we make these promises that that we see baptism as so much a one-way street that it's us to the Lord and, and we fail so often to see that it's, no, it's really the Lord to us. And how often it is we, we struggle because oftentimes we simply don't lay claim to the promises that God has made to us and to our children in baptism. Lord, come! Lord, deliver! Lord, drive away these enemies! It's what you promised to do, Lord, in their baptism. It's what you promised to do for me. That's what you promised to do. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't obligations. It doesn't mean we just sit back and we say, okay, yep. But the Lord says, okay, this is the way you do this. This is the way in which you you deal with this sin. This is the way in which you deal with these sinners. Here it is. I give you the instructions. This is it. Follow this. And I promise I will deliver you from your enemies. But you know, this promise, you know, as, as I'm hearing it, makes me, makes me go back to the song that, that the, the choir sang and makes me go back to the song that, that Clay and Abby picked. Because it rings so true. What, what's going on in those hymns? Lord, you made a promise. And the promise is this, you're never going to leave us, you're never going to forsake us. See, if you go to John chapter 10, which is the the passage in which Jesus is speaking and, and talking and explaining his role and his ministry as the good shepherd, you've got to read John chapter 10 in light of covenant. Jesus is coming and saying, I promise to you, I covenant with you 
The same thing that God was covenanting to Abraham in Genesis 17, the same thing that God is covenanting here with us this morning in this baptism, Jesus is coming and saying in John chapter 10, I am coveting with you that I will be your good shepherd. I will lay my life down for you. I promise that. That's what I will do. You don't have to die for your sin. I'm going to die for your sin. I'm going to protect you. I will not run away from your enemies. I will stand guard over you. I will deliver you. And no one can ever snatch you out of my hand. See, that's covenant language. That's God in Genesis 17 to Abraham. You're mine. This is an everlasting covenant we're making But he's going to break this. I'm your God. Nobody can snatch you from my hand, Abraham. No one. What a beautiful statement David is giving to us here in light of the context that he's speaking of the Lord as his covenant God. Of course one calls the Lord to action. Lord! May your hand move against my enemies to rescue. As you said, no one will ever snatch me from your hand. Someone or something is attempting to do that. Lord, let me listen to your instructions now about how that is to be done. Let me hear your word that I might know how it is that I deal with this enemy of my soul, this enemy of my body, this enemy of my mind that is seeking to take me from you. And Lord, I know that you'll fulfill your promise, that you'll deliver. Thirdly, we see in this psalm a petition for blessing. When we come to verses 12, 13, and 14, there are three blessings that are asked for. It's a blessing for family, and we'll come back to that in a minute. There is a blessing for business, or the economy, we could say, and there is a blessing for a request for a blessing upon society. But you have to understand, David's asking this out of the context of covenant. Lord, we're your people. I ask you now to bless. You see, this bless is a different understanding than the bless of verse 1, isn't it? We're not asking the Lord, hey Lord, get down on bended knee for me. No, this blessing is a Lord, open up your hand towards me. Lord, be giving to me. Because I deserve it? No. Because you made a covenant with me. Fulfill the promises of the covenant that you have made with me and with my family and with our nation. Fulfill the those promises. 
It's a petition. See, he's, he's requesting, Lord, open up your hand. Be giving. Be generous. Be abundant, Lord. Now, let's go back to these three. First of all, let's look at verse 12. Here's the petition. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. So it's a petition for our sons, for our children, our male children. And what is the petition? Well, we read it and go, for our sons to be like plants full grown. Why would I want my son to be a plant full grown? Well, let's go back and retrace what is going on here. A plant in its youth, full grown. Generally, for most, I mean, we live in a fruit-producing area. Generally, for most trees to become productive, it's somewhere between three and seven years. Most farmers will tell you it takes about, you know... We've got to work with this plant. We've got to work with this tree. We've got to do an awful lot of trimming and so on. We, we've got to be treating it. We've got to be watching it and so on. Probably at about somewhere the five to seven year mark, we, we begin to, to get some produce from it. Before that, there might be some sparse pickings that we get, but it's not really till that five to seven year mark that the tree actually begins to produce in a way that is beneficial. Go back and look at the verse. What is the verse saying? The verse is saying, May our sons be like trees that grow up well before their three to seven year span, and may they be strong, may they be sturdy, and may they be productive. It is a request that the Lord work in the hearts and lives of our sons soon. This is not a request. Lord, let them have 20, 30 years of sowing their wild oats, and then, Lord, may they come back to you when they finally get life figured out. Lord, Lord, let them go on their journeys of life. Let them find themselves, Lord, and, and then later on, you know, they'll, they'll become established. No, Lord, this is a promise. Lord, Lord, early, soon. Lord, when they're young, may their faith and trust in you be firmly established so that throughout their life they are producing in abundance spiritually. Lord, may the promises that are made here begin, begin, begin. How many of us pray Lord, may my child make profession of faith by the time they're four years old. We're praying, Lord, I just hope by the time they're 30 they got it straightened out. That's not David. David in the psalm is saying, Lord, you're covenant God, and you've made promises. You've made promises to us and to our children. Lord, I'm claiming that promise for my son. I want my son to grow strong and sturdy, young, in their youth. I don't want them to be sowing wild oats. I don't want them to be regretting. I don't want them to have a past that says when they're 30 and get life straightened out, 
Boy, you know, I'd really like to be a senator, but I got such a past, I can't do it. Because they'll dig into my past and find out that, Lord, I don't want that. I want my son to be a sturdy, young plant that produces early. See, this isn't about, you know, getting married early and having children. This is spiritual. This is a spiritual request that David is making. But it's interesting, isn't it? In this psalm, in an Old Testament psalm in which oftentimes, and I think that's a fair statement, oftentimes, women, especially daughters, are not given much of a prominent role. That David in this psalm, in this request for petition, is thinking not only of his sons, but notice the statement that follows. That our daughters, like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. What is he asking for, for these daughters? What is the request here? Well, let, let's think about the words that are used. One, there's the word of, of a pillar. You don't make pillars are not something to be weak unless you're building some deck over on you know, Lake Michigan and people get on it and fall off. Okay? Pillars are something that are strong. They, they, they just have the picture of that. You know, we, we see the White House and we see the pillars and we just think strength. You know, you go past a house and it has pillars on the front and you just think there's that, that, that pillar represents strength. This is not a, a request for our daughters to be dainty. This is a request for our daughters to be strong. But we're not talking physical, you see. We're talking spiritual. We don't want our daughters to be spiritual wimps. We want our daughters to be spiritual pillars. We want our daughters to be strong, to resist the temptations, to resist the lures, to resist the culture of the day, to be strong, to be the picture of strength, not the picture of weakness, not the picture of caving in, not the picture of being so desperate they'll date any guy in the world just so they got a date, but they're willing to be a pillar, standing alone, firm, strong, strength it's a beautiful request Lord fulfill your covenant promise that you make to our sons and to our daughters may our daughters be strong in you may, may, their, may their spiritual lives be full of strength Second word is corner. It's a corner pillar. It's the difference. A corner pillar represents that which is there for support. That which it's the idea that that the weight is upon it and it's bearing it. So you could say, yeah, it's sort of like strength, but but there's a little bit more idea of, of the strength is being used by the whole structure. Lord, may our daughters be so strong in faith that the whole of our families, 
the whole of our church, the whole of our nation, leans upon them. Yes, they may not be the priests. Yes, they may not be the king. But may they be the corner pillar that holds and supports the whole thing together. That's the promise you make to us in your covenant with us and our children for generations. For those many of us who can say so, what a delight it is. It is indeed a joy and a blessing to have strong sons, firm in the faith, early in life, becoming productive and useful within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But to have a daughter who is strong in the Lord, upon whom society leans for strength. Lord, we want our daughters to be the ones to whom the other kids at school look to for strength. Because they're so strong in you. But there's one more aspect to this. Our daughters, like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. That, that idea of cutting is the idea of being hewn. It's not just slapping up a, a piece of wood. It's not just, yep, this is strong, yep, this is in the corner, yep, this supports it. Probably gone by a house where somebody is adding on a porch or something and they're they're doing the addition. And and as they put in that addition, there in the corner are perhaps a couple of two-by-fours nailed together and sitting there maybe on top of some can or something temporarily and we're going, well, it's holding, it's doing a good job. Must be strong enough, the roof hasn't caved in. It's doing its job. But we're going, boy, I sure hope they're going to do something else with this. We come back a few months later and we see the finished project and we see there in that corner uh, perhaps some stones that have been very beautifully arranged and we see a very decorative pillar. Underneath it is this strong timber. But on the outside is this beautiful decorative piece. May our daughters... Be like pillars, like corner pillars that are hewn, that are cut, that are put together in such a way that there is a beauty that just flows from them. See, the New Testament comments upon that by saying to to our young women, may your beauty, and, it, and it's not dissing, it's not putting down being beautiful and paying attention to oneself, but it's saying, don't let your outer beauty surpass your inner beauty. 
the, the inner beauty of who you are, the spiritual person you are, the Christian you are, always go well beyond the outer beauty. Lord, may my daughter be so beautiful that that which is in her appears like a hewn corner pillar. I petition you, Lord, Jehovah, I am my covenant God. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. We claim the promises of his covenant. Not only for our families, but for business. That's verse 13. Granaries full, producing, productive. 14. Upon all of society, may there be no cry of distress in our streets. It's the picture of peace. And we could well spend a lot of time on those as well. Let's hasten to our fourth point this morning. A statement of fact. Verse 15, blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. See, when we see these things, see, when we see the Lord's deliverance, when we see that which God has done for us in Jesus Christ, when we see the victory that Christ has gained for us over our sins, over Satan, over hell, over our own hearts, over our own minds. We see the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. And we see that fulfillment in our life. We see our children grow. We see our businesses prosper. We live in relative peace and harmony. When, when we see those blessings, here's what we have to do. We have to step back and we have to say, truly we are blessed. Truly, God's hand has been opened to us. And here the word blessed means happy. People's lives ought to be lived with great smiles. Not in a, and, and, and there ought to be a sense of, of pride. Not in the sense of a sinful pride. Look what I have done. But the sense of pride of, Lord, look what you have done. Look what you have given. Lord, you have been so good. You have fulfilled your covenant promises to me, to my descendants, to my children, to my grandchildren, to great-grandchildren. Lord, even when I deal with a hardship of three days of not being able to flick a switch or to flush a toilet, when I get it back, I realize, Lord, how blessed we are as a people. Lord, when the bills are paid, when I lay my head down at night and I can sleep in peace, yeah, there's some fireworks going on around me and I have a hard time sleeping for a few days, but there aren't bombs bursting in air over me. There isn't a foreign army invading. Lord, truly can smile. Truly I can smile. Be happy. Because I'm blessed. 
because you're my covenant God. Blessed, the psalmist says. David comes back. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. They know God. They know Him. They don't know facts about Him. That's, that's not what, what David's talking about. He's talking about that they're in a relationship whose God is the Lord. Covenant one-on-one. And each one of us has heard God speak to us through His Word, through His Spirit. Not Abraham, but Bob, Dave, Shelley, Carol. You're my child. I want to make an everlasting covenant with you. I'm sending my son and I sent him for you to die upon a cross. He shed his blood so that you and I can have a relationship, a covenant relationship. And I promise, I promise to be your God. I promise to be your Lord. And I'll do that forever and ever and ever. Blessed are the people whose God is that Lord. Amen? Amen. Father.